Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I've been fucking struggling, honestly. Like, I, last night, I've, I've been, you know, trying to keep my head up and all that. And I, last night, I took a, a bath and then relaxed. And I finally, like, cleared my head for, like, a little bit. And I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit better before bed. And then I'm having, like, fucking nightmares. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I feel you. I, l- clocked out of work yesterday um at like three o'clock because my nobody said a word to me about my vacation coming up like for unlike the time i took one day off where they spent a whole week talking to me about it like i'm taking (laughs) a week off and they spend one day talking to me about it but that one day is like could you write detailed notes um leave all the key cards in the correct locations clean and organize the entire truck oh and also we pulled four of your vending machines so we're going to need you to empty all of those out and sort them into your truck before you leave for vacation and i was like i should be at home working on homework right now (laughs) it's driving me fucking nuts but this time they just didn't even care what work yeah. Oh, I did not tell work that I have homework. Work does not know I'm no, in class. No, no, I, me- I meant like they didn't care that you're taking the, the week off. No, that's why they'd made me do all that grunt work. Oh, I'm 99% okay. sure. I had two employees come up and they're like, they hit you with a bunch of shit to do before you leave for vacation. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, that sounds like them. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Yeah. Man, fuck that. I have half a mind to get a new job on this vacation just to quit <laughs> it in three months. But, like, why not? I mean, fuck it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, I guess uh, you would have to then, you know, get back and then use the um, the paid time off and sick time that you've got. Just, like, sit there and just, like, plow through it in, like, a week or two. And then you, then you can go. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not ever gonna leave with PTO hanging in the balance. You know they're gonna try to hold on to that shit, and unfortunately, we don't have a union, so I don't have a reliable way to claw it out of them besides requesting it and then taking it the normal way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like uh, when I've quit jobs. Uh, definitely, if there's any amount of paid time, it's just like, oh, did you look at that? I was sick for two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all right. Let's just get going on the episode. Alrighty. episode of your favorite labor podcast my name is john i'm lena we're work stoppage and dan is out sick with a terrible case of responsibility this week so we're an entirely listener supported show so thank you so much if you support us on patreon it really does go a long way uh you can always hop in the discord if you want to interact with us a little bit more and the other fans of the show if you need stickers and you're a patron just message us on patreon and i'll get that sorted for you and if you want to help the show a little bit more leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or in a silly place but the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts have been great, and we read every single one. So thank you so much for those. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. But uh, this week, we're actually going to start with uh, our follow-ups, but uh, our follow-up of the Stand Up for Palestine episode that we did this past week. 
Um, and we're going to be reading the Starbucks Workers United statement on Palestine, as well as their response to the company and their attacks on the union. Uh, if you remember, I mean, it just was just a couple days ago, so you probably listened to it. And if you didn't, that actually is not a patron episode. You can go check it out. Uh, it was that Starbucks then decided they were going to sue the union for a similar reason to the medieval times. And just because, you know, they stood up for Palestine, and as Dan said in that episode, that, you know, Starbucks was worried that for once people thought that they were actually doing something fucking good, and they could not have that happen. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, as, you know, we are very happy to see the Starbucks Workers United Union has decided that they are going to make sure that their message is clear on how they stand with Palestine. And then after that, we're going to talk about one more story about how Israel is attacking Palestinian workers and then get to the other labor news. Absolutely. All right. So this is the official statement from Starbucks Workers United. And it says at the top, Starbucks Workers United stands with Palestine. And then continuing... The members of Starbucks Workers United stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people's right to self-determination. We are opposed to violence, and each death occurring as the result of violence is a tragedy. We absolutely condemn anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. Our union's members endorse the comprehensive statement of support from Jewish Voice for Peace, which provides powerful context on why we all must stand in solidarity with Palestinians. This statement reflects the diversity of our campaign. We are a union with Jewish, Palestinian, and Muslim workers. We condemn the occupation, displacement, state violence, apartheid, and threats of genocide Palestinians face. Furthermore, we condemn Starbucks for shamefully using this devastating humanitarian crisis to make false statements against our union and to vilify us. Our members face threats and harassment across our country, which are disproportionately affecting our Muslim, Jewish, and Palestinian co-workers. If Starbucks is concerned about the quote-unquote safety and well-being of its workers, as they have recently claimed, we suggest that the company bargain in good faith with us regarding the health and safety provisions proposed by the union months ago. Instead, it appears the company seeks to score points by baselessly attacking our union. We demand Starbucks apologize and acknowledge the harm they've done. We call on other labor unions to stand in solidarity with Starbucks workers united on these two issues. That's the end of their statement, which I think really is so comprehensive and and says almost everything you could really want to say from a labor perspective about this issue. Yeah, I mean, especially like here in the United States. And there's also, I mean, as we pointed out before, there was the Palestinian trade unions who also called for for the the four actions of uh, people in our labor movement and the labor movement uh, around the world to do, which is refuse to build weapons destined for Israel, refuse to transport weapons destined for Israel, to take actions against any company which is actively and materially supporting the Israeli occupation, and pressure all Western governments to end their complicity and end the aid of the Zionist regime. Mm -hmm. So Starbucks Workers United here, you know, standing with those statements from the Palestinian trade unions in that way. Now, to get to our next story, we're going to be talking, I mean, just continuing our coverage of the genocide being enacted by the state of Israel on Palestine. And we are going to talk about how on October the 11th, Israel revoked around 18,500 work permits from Palestinians who lived in Gaza or who live in Gaza. 
And these workers found out that their work permits had been revoked because in order to actually exit or enter Gaza or basically even go to work, they're forced to log into an app which was created by the Israeli Defense Ministry, Al-Munis Khan, which is uh, also known as the, the coordinator, the translation of that is, the, these digital permits basically are what allow them to work. And one major issue with this uh, you know, revocation is that many of the workers were actually not even in Gaza at the time, and this meant that they were basically illegally in Israel and not and also at the same time not legally allowed to return to Gaza and i mean the change was unilateral without warning and without any explanation by the 17th 4000 workers had been detained without trial to check if they had quote unquote well i'll, I'll just if they had quote helped Hamas in planning the massacre end quote which is so blatantly racist and not just not- racist but i mean uh, straight up genocidal i mean this is like the post 911 police response in the united states but on like a full on military scale yeah yeah and i mean on top of that it's a br- breaking of international law which prohibits acts of vengeance against workers according mm-hmm. to five different israeli human rights organizations like yeah they also described the acts as, quote, unprecedented in both scope and lack of transparency, end quote, noting that, quote, overnight thousands of people who had Israeli work permits became illegal aliens and have been rounded up, end quote. Yeah, which is like, you know, Israel was already running an incredibly large concentration camp, but this is just like the... I mean, this is the logical extension of that in the most horrific way possible, right? We're seeing the the material facts of what has always been the situation come to light because Israel is in this genocidal, you know, uh, it, they want you to believe it's like a panic response mode, but it, it's in fact a very deliberate mode of genocidal extermination. Yeah, it's just a new phase of their plan to do genocide against the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. Now, to actually speak about these workers, their average wage is $13 per day. They tend to work as farmers and construction workers and those sorts of like manual labor uh, jobs. And even then, that $13 a day can generally mean a tenfold increase from the wages that they would be getting when working in Gaza, where half the population is unemployed. And I mean, when you talk about half the the population being unemployed, that figure reaches 60% when it comes to younger Palestinians. And, and to put this in context, in 2022, one Palestinian told the Associated Press that receiving the permit was, along with his graduation and wedding, one of the three, quote, great moments of joy in his life in the Gaza Strip, end quote. <sighs> that quote fucking crushed me because it's like, you know, to to have that great moment of joy on par with your graduation and wedding, and what is it? It's a ticket to cross a militarized border and make $13 a day in the place where your family has always lived. Uh, it's it's absolutely... It's just on another planet from from where humanity is, is meant to be interacting with each other. And as long as we're talking about people who are just operating on this 
on this entirely, you know, inhumane logic, we heard from Defense Minister Yoav Fallant from Israel, who said that Israel would cease to take, quote unquote, responsibility for life in the Gaza Strip. And another Israeli official said that this meant, quote, Israel will not be part of the solution in terms of giving Gazans work. We've disconnected the umbilical cord, end quote, which is not only a blatantly genocidal statement, but also is unbelievably patronizing to position Israel the the root of all of the of the settler colonial you know project that is that is causing all of these issues for these Palestinians and to say that oh actually we're cutting off the this paternalist aid that was actually you know your savior all along so it's it's just it's really disgusting in every register uh, absolutely. And the paternalism is is very on its face there in that, like, yeah, you're right. They are the ones who are enacting this violence, and then they're so benevolent as to even provide aid. And that, yeah, it's just uh, appalling. And mm-hmm. then once these uh, permits were cut off, many of the workers fled to nearby cities, and some of them fled to the West Bank. And when trying to pass the checkpoints, many, quote, were subject to violence and humiliation, questioning and harassment by soldiers, end quote. And even then, their phones and cash were confiscated. Like, they were literally robbed Mm -hmm. by the IDF, which is a a, basically just a a standing, you know, fascist occupation, like, they're, they're a bunch of goons who are trying to, you know, harass Palestinians. That's their entire job. Mm-hmm. And the workers who have been detained are being denied their right to legal representation and other basic rights. A worker told the AP that after they were detained, the soldiers, quote, started beating us. I got hit in the mouth and my teeth are on the verge of falling out. I haven't been able to eat in three days because of the tooth pain, end quote. And I mean, I'm sorry. I like this. These these we we have to read these quotes because it's it's just very very important for us to realize the actual brutality of what's going on here. And I, there's there's one more, but we're gonna let me just I'll just finish reading this. And many of the workers are also finding it very difficult to contact their family their families in Gaza and fear that they will not be able to see them again as the genocide continues to be perpetrated by Israel. A worker interviewed under a pseudonym by Jewish Currents said, quote, I have daughters and sons there. Please, God, let me go to Gaza so I can die with them. So we can die together. End quote. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's really impossible to overstate the scale of the humanitarian crisis, the genocide, the, you know, there's about a billion different ways to characterize this. Um, and it's such a difficult time uh, in terms of, of ideology and, you know, the media, the coordinated media attacks on the Palestinians and everything that you're seeing uh, in the news and the way that it's being spun. But if you actually just go in and you read the first-hand accounts, you read the quotes, yeah, even if you're not super familiar with the long and, and brutal history of settler colonialism uh, in Palestine, then, I mean, it it still becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly uh, the, the scale of tragedy that's happening here. So, yeah, even though I know, you know... <sighs> 
it's not always necessarily explicitly a labor issue. If you're a socialist or even if you just, <laughs> I mean, hell, if you just consider yourself a good person, uh, you, you absolutely have to be paying attention to this and parsing out what's happening here because it's not just a matter of, you know, oh, can we influence what's about to go down, you know, whatever, maybe not, but the way that this is treated and talked about and historically understood is is going to be unbelievably important and as hard as it is i mean it's you have to you have to do your best to to get the most direct information about what this conflict really is because people will i mean very close to everyone if you live in america is trying to lie to you about it yeah it's pretty awful the amount of propaganda that's going on to prop up this genocidal settler colonial regime yeah but well uh, stepping away from geopolitics a little bit for a moment we do want to talk about another uh incredibly upsetting story frankly uh that happened this week a lot of you may have seen this if you are big into music or if if you are a musician yourself you're probably a big fan of the website Bandcamp. And we were excited earlier this year to discuss the successful unionization effort by workers at the one good distribution platform for music artists, literally in the entire world, Bandcamp. But unfortunately, this week, Bandcamp was hit with the same fate that so many enterprises under capitalism are hit with, which is acquisition and layoffs. We've previously mentioned Epic Games' decision to sell Bandcamp to music distribution company SongTrader. That sale became complete this week, and as a result, half, a full half, of the entire Bandcamp staff have been fired. And while the union, you know, did its best to negotiate during this sale, U.S. labor law in these situations is basically stacked entirely against the workers. Bosses are allowed to do essentially whatever they want with no consequence, even if it destroys dozens, hundreds, or thousands of lives, because that's just enshrined in the the, the business and contract law that we have in this country that says if you sell a company, that's like selling a horse. You just You can do it however you want. Yeah, and I mean, part of those layoffs was the entire bargaining team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's obviously highly ideologically motivated, despite the fact that they're trying to pass it off as, oh, this is just normal business practice. You know, you, you acquire something, you lay off half the staff, you try to make it leaner. Trying to make it leaner means trying to get rid of all of the effective organizers. Yeah, and... We're also going to talk, I mean, like, we're going to start this episode, this is just a a heavy start to the episode, but it does lighten up at some point, but we have to keep going on on this more difficult, on these more difficult topics for the moment. And unfortunately, one of the topics that has come up again and again on our show is the perpetuation of slavery and slave-like conditions for workers around the world. And we've previously discussed this in many ways that uh, companies abuse migrant workers by promising high wages in foreign countries and then taking workers' passports when they arrive and then forcing them into low-paying, horrific conditions, unable to leave. The past week, a joint investigation by NBC News and several other organizations found that Amazon has been using the same system of migrant worker abuse at its operation in Saudi Arabia to supply labor to its warehouse in Riyadh, Amazon hired Almutierico, a provide a quote provider of human resource solutions. End quote. Oh, that's the most sinister business description I have literally ever heard <laughs> in my life. It t- it ticks 
every box. It's yeah. vague. It has human resources in it. It has the word solutions, which is maybe the most evil corporate word of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I mean, using a network of recruiters largely based in Nepal, uh, Al Mutayiri told recruits that they would be paid high salaries to work at Amazon. But, you know, not surprisingly, once workers arrived in Saudi Arabia, they were saddled with debt for the trip, forced into squalid bunkhouses with other workers, and forced to work in abusive conditions in the RUH6 warehouse. In May of last year, suddenly many workers were fired without pay, without a new job or any way to obtain one, and without transport back to Nepal. As one worker, uh, Mamtaj Mansour, told NBC investigators, quote, I told them, either kill us or send us home, but don't give us so much pain, end quote. Uh, Mansour's family was forced to go into even further debt to raise the $1,300 exit fee needed to get them back home to Nepal. So, so this is straight up and down the kafala system that we've highlighted on the show many times before. It hasn't been mentioned so far in the notes, but like this, this is the textbook definition of the kafala system. You, you promise work, you exploit the workers, you actually extract money out of them while you extract labor out of them, and then you leave them to die in some country where they're technically there illegally once you've fired them, and. Complicit in all of this is, of course, the United States government, because we're a very close ally of Saudi Arabia. We're constantly courting them for favors, but also Amazon. And Amazon claims, and this is so fucking ridiculous, just like just like Nestle, just like Coca-Cola, Amazon claims that they were unaware of the problems. But dozens of workers told NBC reporters that they told Amazon managers about the awful conditions and abuse and received no help. And only after reporters publicized the abuses did Amazon respond publicly. And even now, they refuse to cut ties with Al-Mutairi, probably because it's so fucking profitable, saying that they want to work with them to make, quote-unquote, significant changes to their operation, which is a cute little bit of Democrat speak. And this is, you know, runs in parallel to when Hyundai in the United States was caught using child labor. They didn't cut ties with their labor supplier either, and they said they wanted to work with them. And I'm doing big old scare quotes with my fingers. And then when the story blew over, like stories do, because press comes in cycles, they just went back to doing exactly the same thing. And if you think that's not Amazon's end goal, I've got a fucking bridge in Manhattan I'd like to sell you or wherever it is. I don't know New York very well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, you're not you're not wrong at all in that. Like, it's purely just a it's PR speak for please let this blow over. Mm hmm. Yeah, Your Honor, my client would like 20 minutes for everyone to just not be so mad at him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The RUH facility hired dozens of workers using these migrant exploitation firms, so the idea that Amazon knew nothing of their abuses is not credible at all. Amazon has 1,500 employees in Saudi Arabia, many of them migrant workers recruited through similarly abusive contracting firms, many workers from countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Nepal are forced to seek work abroad and send money home to their families, even with the knowledge that a majority of migrant recruiting firms are using these sorts of abusive practices. I mean, that's like shocking, but it kind of makes sense. Like if your local economy has been so manipulated and extracted from that the living, you know, that the prevailing wage is just like a horrible, you know, insignificant fraction of what a real living wage is, then it's like, 
you don't really have any choice but to take your gamble with like, am I going to end up getting labor and money extracted from me or am I going to eke out a horrible substandard wage that's still terribly, you know, an order of magnitude greater than what I would make at home? That's a truly impossible situation for these folks. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, workers described the horrible conditions at the Amazon warehouse uh, saying, quote, Amazon makes people work like cattle, an anonymous worker had said. And uh, another worker, uh, Surendra Kumar Lama, said, quote, they want us not to take breaks when they when there is high work demand. They would stand near the restrooms and water stations because workers are afraid of them. Many times I waited half an hour or an hour to go to the restroom because they were there, end quote. Yeah, and this and- worker is also from Nepal. Yeah, and it's not just the working conditions. It's also the housing conditions and the everything else conditions. I mean, they had as many as eight workers crammed into one small room. Mattresses that were infested with bedbugs were the only option for most workers. And air conditioning, which unsurprisingly is a life-saving you know, utility in the, in the Arabian heat, rarely worked. So when, man, when workers complained about housing conditions, they were actually just threatened by the Al-Mutairi managers. And the uh, company also adamantly refused to let workers leave for any reason without paying an impossible fine. One worker was told he could go home to see his dying father if he paid $1,600. Quote, I couldn't be with my dad when he died. I couldn't hold and look at my son when he came into this world. End quote. And during his time in Saudi Arabia, he said, quote, I didn't achieve anything, but I lost many things, end quote. And again, you know, this is a business relationship that the United States government, the Saudi Arabian government, and Amazon are all extremely happy with and do not want messed up. So, um, you know, it's, it's so important to look under the hood of these things because... Like we say on this show all the time, if you don't have solidarity with these workers who are facing the most extreme conditions of exploitation, then you really don't have solidarity with anyone. Because when you help them and when you extend the the reach of organized labor to them, that really is the rising tide that lifts all boats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because consistently capitalists want, uh, as is often said, a race to the bottom. And if we, you know, get keep these people who are on the bottom, these are Mm -hmm. these are the people who are at the bottom. We can raise those standards and make it so much harder for them to reach so low and abuse Mm -hmm. all of these people. I mean, it's not only for, you know, self-interest. It's also just for the interest of fucking having people not suffering in this horrible, horrible world. I mean, when you go down the list of all the things they're facing, it's one of those situations where it's only technically on paper any different from slavery. But it is essentially, I mean, utter, utterly uh, indistinguishable in so many cases. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to continue our difficult stories, we are going to head on back to the United States, which I guess we in some ways haven't left because of the complicity of the United States mm-hmm. in every single one of these previous stories. Absolutely. But we're going to be talking about a, a factory in Reading, PA, where back in March, seven workers were killed in an explosion of a chocolate factory. Over six months later, OSHA had finally issued a response, merely fining the owners a few thousand dollars. But even that was too much for the bosses, who are now trying to get out of any accountability at all. 
On March 24th, workers at the R.M. Palmer Company alerted managers to the smell of natural gas in the facility. But their warnings were entirely ignored, and seven workers were killed when a leaking gas main under the building caused an explosion in the factory. OSHA investigators condemned the owners of the company, but only issued fines of $44,500, which amounts to a penalty of $6,350 per dead worker. And I mean, and, and this is obviously an incredible bargain for uh, R.M. Palmer Company, which, you know, brought in $250 million in revenue last year. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable. And the complicity in it is so fucking obvious. Like natural gas is one of those things where it doesn't naturally smell. So they put a, a smell in the gas so that you can smell it. That's very obvious and that everyone can recognize. And a natural gas threat in a building is like one of the most pressing safety issues like conceivable besides like i don't know a meteor being on its way so like it's just so stark and when you hear from osha regional director kevin chambers it really splits your brain in half because he he says quote seven workers will never return home because the rm palmer company did not evacuate the facility after being told of a suspected gas leak ensuring the safety of a workplace is expected of employers and required by law the company could have prevented this horrific tragedy by following required safety procedures end quote and that's all true all of that is true every bit of what he said is true why did you find them forty-four thousand dollars? if all of those things you said are true and they are put them in jail put them in jail it's so fucking simple 100 percent. they never go to jail yeah yeah no 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 that's that's absolutely true these are criminals these are murderers the mm-hmm. man the 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 management of this company are complicit in the deaths of these seven workers yet even this tiny insignificant fine was too much for the company bosses who have attacked osha and denied any responsibility the company owners have cited the ntsb report Uh, that the leak came from a gas main under the building rather than a pipe inside of the plant. As a tiny technicality, uh, was apparently relevant in any way. Yeah, yeah, that's so fucking ridiculous. Like, if if your fucking facility gets hit by, like, a fucking earthquake, and you're like, well, we didn't make the earthquake, so not letting our employees evacuate is not our fault. Well, it's yes, like the it torna- fucking is, you psycho. What is it's wrong the tor- with you? Yeah, it's the tornado in it's- Illinois at yes. the Amazon warehouse. Precisely. Yeah, and they've called to uh, the, the this company, they've called to the fact that uh, OSHA doesn't have a specific point-by-point procedure for evacuating a plant during a natural gas leak, meaning that it's not the company's fault for refusing to listen to its employees. The company did have an evacuation plan for the facility, but failed to follow it the day of the explosion. Jail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so hearing these excuses from the company is obviously incredibly maddening uh, because they're not just patently false, but they're also completely insulting to the memory of these workers who died uh, just for the greed and the callous negligence of the R.M. Palmer Company. And the cruel fact that even when OSHA investigators want to go after these companies, all they can do is issue totally insignificant fines, which then get further reduced by the courts, which then can be appealed by the companies, 
once again shows that we have no system we can depend on from the U.S. state for workplace safety. And only the workers themselves can actually enforce workplace safety. And they were trying to, as is evidenced by the warnings they gave to management. And I mean, you know, right on its face, this is one of the biggest, most obvious, most important reasons that we are always saying every single worker needs to have a union and needs to have some level of democratic control of their workplace. Yeah, the just being organized enough to be like, no, we're walking out, these conditions are unsafe, is mm-hmm. something that you learn through being in a union. It's also something that gives you enough like confidence that you will be protected from being fired when you do actions like that. And what, because even while this would be protected under the NLRA, if you were not in a union, it's so difficult for people to actually stand up for themselves because of that fear of retaliation, which mm-hmm. is ever present in our system. Well, it's like, what if you walk out and then there's not an explosion or there's not really a natural gas leak or something? Because it makes you feel like you're going nuts. Like the, the bosses want you to be, to, to doubt your own senses, to doubt what your coworkers are saying. But it's like, even if you do walk out and there is no gas leak and there is no explosion, whatever, it was just a false alarm. False alarms happen and are normal. And if you have a union, you have the protection against that. And that gives you the the security to take meaningful safety precautions. So, yeah, it's it's so important. And, you know, it's such a fucking tragedy what happened to these uh, workers. I suppose we're going to get to one of our first stories that isn't straight up a tragedy so these are prime healthcare workers in california that we'd like to begin talking about and last week uh this kind of uh, echoes a discussion we had about the deal reached between unions and kaiser permanente following the largest healthcare strike in u.s history but healthcare workers aren't just striking at kaiser Kaiser may be one of the worst and most obvious offenders, but the problems of short staffing, low pay, and the abuse faced by healthcare workers are found all over the industry. Last week, even more healthcare workers in California at Prime Healthcare launched their own one week strike to demand better conditions. So on Monday, October 9th, 1,500 workers at Prime Healthcare hit the picket lines at four California hospitals managed by the company. Nurses and other staff at St. Francis Medical Center in Linwood. Straight shouts out to Weird Al Yankovic, I think. Yeah. Sentinella Me- Hospital <laughs> Medical Center in Inglewood, Garden Grove Hospital and Medical Center, and Encino Hospital Medical Center all walked out for five days to protest unsafe conditions. Like the Kaiser strike, workers at Prime are part of multiple unions. 600 are nurses with the United Nurses Associations of California, and 900 are other healthcare workers with SEIU UHW. We heard from Raylene Gentry, a respiratory therapist at St. Francis, who told the LA Daily News, quote, We can never find adequate staffing. We have patients who need their IVs changed, but they'll end up waiting for hours, waiting to be seen or won't be seen at all during our shift, end quote. Now, which is which is something that it it shows the actual malpractice that happens due to these companies intransigence and unwillingness to bring in enough staff or even make sure to pay them enough to make sure that there are people willing to work these jobs. Because Mm -hmm. as we will hear, uh, the people do leave the industry because of these horrible working conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 
you know, you hear from the public all the time when they have to interact with the medical field, it's like, oh, the sheer incompetence, the sheer incompetence of these places. And then you ask them, like, what did you actually face? And when they tell you the problems they faced, it's never that the nurses didn't know what they were doing or that the doctors weren't smart enough or any of that. It's that there's not enough fucking people in the building and it's a big bureaucratic mess run like a fucking company and it makes no fucking sense from gate. So... Another issue that's already that's plaguing these workers is that they've been operating without a new contract, something we see all the time in fucking healthcare, since theirs expired back in fucking August. So workers have repeatedly tried to get Prime to take the staffing shortage and the dangers that it presents to the patients seriously. Another theme we see in healthcare labor disputes all the time. The staff are concerned about the patients. A big fucking surprise. So nurses at St. Francis alone alone at one hospital filed over 6,000 complaints. There aren't even, we just, in this whole strike, there's 600 nurses and 900 other healthcare workers. And just the nurses at one hospital filed 6,000 complaints against the hospital management for refusing to meet state nurse to patient ratios as reported by the LA Times. But the state has refused to enforce the law and Prime claims that the problem is due to a quote-unquote nursing shortage, nobody wants to work ass shit, which we all know is a, is a lie, is a blatant lie. Yeah, as I literally was just alluding to, there is a reason why some people are leaving. It's not that there aren't enough trained nurses. There are plenty of trained nurses. Exactly. It's that there is consistently underpaying of these nurses. There's a consistent understaffing. And it leads these people who are saving others' lives to be incredibly burnt out. When we're seeing the uneven or the, the, the poor staffing ratios mm-hmm. where, you know, there's one nurse who's responsible responsible for 12 14 16 20 people like that yeah. is unsustainable and will lead someone to madness yeah well and like further to your point lena let's find out precisely where this quote-unquote nursing shortage is coming from so despite despite these claims that we've heard from prime that they've done everything they could possibly do to address the shortage their actual actions completely expose this as a lie. So as reported by the LA Daily News, after buying St. Francis Medical Center in 2020, the company subsequently fired 20%, a full fifth of the experienced nurses, cut the pay of the rest of the nurses by 12%, and instituted a three-year wage freeze during the early days of the pandemic when the burden on these healthcare workers was at its absolute height. So we heard from Mayra Castaneda, who's an ultrasound technician at St. Francis, and who was rather blunt about how they've been mistreated. She told the LA Times, quote, They don't care to hear what we're saying or where we're crying out for staffing. We work 20 hours, 18 hours, 16 hours straight. There's no one to relieve us, end quote. Prime also, in the face of this strike, immediately hired scabs to replace the workers at reduced capacity during the one-week strike. So if you thought the, the staffing and the incompetence was bad before... Try getting adequate health care from a bunch of poorly trained, constantly moving scab workers who don't know their patients running way below capacity, uh, running at below a farce of capacity at this hospital now. So negotiations will continue this week, but we've seen absolutely no indication whatsoever from any of these companies that they will ever agree in writing to hire the necessary staff without a massive sustained strike. So we may be seeing... Uh, you know, in terms of like length or intensity, another really huge healthcare dispute, um, healthcare labor dispute boiling up here in uh, California. 
Yeah, and just one more note on these scab nurses is that they are consistently paid way more than regular nurses. I mean, as we saw at the Kaiser Permanente strike, they were paid, what, double what the most uh, scab nurses are paid. Mm-hmm. And somehow. Which is already they- like four times what a regular nurse makes. Yeah, and it's somehow th- there's no money to bring in enough staff, but yet they have enough money to hire all of these scabs. It's absolutely, it, it belies any of the rhetoric that they try to put out there. Yeah, it's like, oh, we can't hire enough nurses to actually run the hospital at 100% uh, capa- staff capacity, but we can hire one-tenth of the staff capacity as scab nurses and pay them all 10x wages, which is the same amount of fucking money. We just don't think we'll have to do it forever, which is like you know i i know that like doing like economic algebra is not always the most convincing argument to people but i i think if you're the kind of person who who does rely on that kind of materialism it's just so fucking clear it's so evident and that nothing the company say can ever make it any different to anyone who has the facts so yeah well and to move to our next story i mean or we've kind of seen that especially you know talking about healthcare workers a lot that mm-hmm. the u.s labor upsurge was really focused in like the la area but now it really does seem like the gravity center is shifting towards detroit with uaw workers in the thousands having been on strike at the big three as well as the blue cross blue shield of michigan workers for a month i mean this week we they were actually joined by a coalition of workers from detroit's casinos as well hell yeah the motor city baby the great lake state it's gonna be cheese curds and fucking uh and uh, French onion soup in the labor movement this year. Get ready. I, I do really wish we had more cheese curds over here in Michigan. This is just showing that you also lived in Wisconsin. Hey, they're picking up. Michigan's figuring their shit out. We They're in Ontario and Wisconsin. Why aren't they more popular in Michigan? They really should be. You're right. You're right. <laughs> On Tuesday, October 18th, after months of negotiation, a coalition of five unions, the Detroit Casino Council, announced that they have been forced to strike by the casino owners who refused to agree to a fair contract. Covering members of the UAW, Unite Here, the Teamsters, Operating Engineers, and the Michigan Council of Carpenters, the DCC, or the Detroit Casino Council, represents the workers of the city's three casinos, Hollywood, Motor City, and MGM Grand. There we go, Motor City. Motor City, uh, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The DCC represents 3,700 workers, including food service workers, wait staff, dealers, valets, cleaning staff, basically every worker necessary to make these casinos function. Workers are fighting for raises to compensate for inflation and soaring cost of living, but also against understaffing. Wow, where Mm -hmm. have we seen understaffing before? Actually, if you are a working person, you see it constantly. As there are now 1,500 fewer workers doing the same jobs as before the pandemic. Retirement benefits are also a major issue of contention, with workers not having received an increase to their retirement benefits from the company in eight whole years yeah and i mean that's absolutely psychotic it's getting more expensive and harder to live in every single place in the country but especially in a city like detroit which has been undergoing a decades-long rejuvenation campaign quote unquote which you could basically translate into redlining and gentrification and then also a bunch of other like pretty undesirable effects on the city's populace so these are people who are seeing an incredibly sharp rise in the cost of living in their area and have not received 
any fucking benefit increase <laughs> in their retirement benefits in eight years, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely unlivable. It, 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 it makes no sense even on paper. Yeah. And I mean, we have a quote here from Terry Skies, a dealer at the Motor City Casino and also president of UAW Local 7777. Who <laughs> I see said, what he did there. <laughs> Jackpot. <laughs> and the, so they said, quote, the company is offering us nickels and dimes and they want us to pay more for health care. As a two-time breast cancer survivor, I'm fighting to protect our health care. These companies are making more than ever, and it's time they respect us for all of the sacrifices we made to keep the doors open during the pandemic. End quote. And the casinos being open during mm-hmm. the peaks of the pandemic, and this is not to say anything about how things should have opened in the first place, but the idea that these literally like licensed to steal from people companies uh were necessary to be open during the peaks uh just mind-blowing lena obviously gambling is an essential industry how could it possibly not be it also cannot be done online there is no way to gamble online period full stop and i stand by that that's just the truth (laughs) as someone who has gambled online right i love it i'm really good at it (laughs) i haven't done it in a while because i'm in school but yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh the unions point out that in september of 2020 six months into the pandemic they agreed to a three-year extension with minimal wage increases due to the uncertainty of the times which i don't want to be like we kind of told people so but when we started this show back around that time we were saying this is the time to make your demands because like it's it was pretty clear i mean when looking from the outside maybe that things were just going in favor of companies Mm -hmm. during this crisis but i mean i don't want to condemn the workers too much because there was a lot of propaganda going on around them well and also i mean like you know yeah no shade to the workers but uh, i'm always confused by this line about like oh we actually need to freeze the situation in amber for a little while just until we sort out what's happening because the economy is so uncertain and i understand that argument but i don't understand why the companies are allowed to make it and the workers are not allowed to make it why aren't the workers allowed to say hey actually things look like they might get really uncertain for the next few years so i need a five dollar an hour raise right now to make sure that i'm all right that's never on the fucking table and it makes at least as much sense as the argument from the companies i would argue thousands of times more sense yeah no no no. that is incredibly well said and i mean since the inflation uh since then i mean even inflation has increased the cost of living in detroit by 20 percent mm-hmm Meanwhile, last year, uh, Detroit casinos brought in record revenues of $2.27 billion and are on track to break that record again this year. At the same time, the casinos paid $34 million less in wages than in 2019. Okay, and again, $34 million out of $2.27 billion with a B, remembering that a billion is a thousand millions— and they're they're making two digit million cuts to their fucking labor costs. It's inconsequential. They they could have doubled all of their workers' wages, straight doubled across the board, benefits everything. And it absolutely would not even scratch their fucking profits. It's yeah. deranged. Yeah. 
And the average starting wage for housekeepers at the three casinos are is barely over $16 an hour. Like, that's that's the reality here. When you're saying double wages, like, even if they're getting $32 an hour, mm-hmm. which is a totally reasonable wage for anyone to have, mm-hmm. literally anyone to have, they would there would be no issues with yeah. these companies' profit margins still. No, they'd be fine. They're casinos. They they pull money out of people's pockets directly. That's their business model. Exactly. I mean, casinos are simply just attacks on the poor and people who are, you know, exploited by, you know, the actual addiction industry. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an addiction tax. It's a retirement tax. It's a sin tax. It's a boredom tax. It's a it's all of those it's just it's it's the it's one of the kinds of taxes that makes the libertarians incidentally right for a second it's just straight up theft it's stealing yeah well and i mean like it's reasonable for people to it's not like gambling should be illegal if people are like playing poker at their house or something like that that sort of thing is like that but these this is institutionalized these are companies Mm -hmm. that are organized around the entire business is literally mathematically designed to extract money from people and and also if you did this privately you get arrested you need a license from the state to do this because it's so fucking profitable that if they didn't make it illegal every capitalist would run a casino so to think of this industry as anything other than state-sanctioned free money theft from the poor theft from whoever is just not it's not correct that's just that's what it is (laughs) yeah absolutely close down the casinos but we do need to move to poker in your basement like you respect yourself that's right (laughs) that's right uh so we're gonna move to our next story about uh you know and it's uh it's rough to i mean i know that dan's out there doing really important work and uh you know so it's really good that he's out there doing that but i do wish that he was here for this one because he loves reporting on these stories from maine He's a real Stephen King, we like to say. <laughs> I'm sure he'd hate that joke. <laughs> uh, during the first hectic year of workers organizing at Starbucks locations around the country, we covered many smaller regional ca- cafe chains, which were also inspired to unionize, even as Starbucks' vicious union-busting campaign has slowed a little bit, but not stopped by any means. The rate of new unions... Uh, in cafes and other you know not just starbucks but other cafes are actually continuing and so this week we're actually happy to report that on tuesday october 7th workers in portland maine uh, at the coffee chain coffee by design officially filed to join Lyuna. Uh, and with overwhelming support, nearly 90% of the workers at the cafe's three locations signed cards in support of the union drive. The new bargaining unit would include 20 baristas across three locations. Workers say higher wages, more consistent hours, and an impartial grievance procedure are on the top of their list of issues that they hope to address in the first contract. Oh, that, that's so interesting because we see these same demands from a lot of workers in the service sector in particular. But I've noticed with cafe and, and coffee shop workers as, as a distinct subgroup, it seems like grievance procedures are always like, not that that's not a reasonable demand, it's a great demand, but they're always unusually high on the list of demands. And it just makes me wonder, having worked at Starbucks for as long as I did, like, is it just like this at every coffee shop? Are they just like truly like madness inducing 
horrible environments just from top to bottom? <laughs> I, I think so. Honestly, like it's just because there are incredibly unreasonable demands by by customers constantly who think that who really believe in that customer-centered model of of doing business Mm -hmm. and the owners of these companies are like well shit i can sell a pot of coffee which costs me 25 cents for 30 dollars and so it it becomes like oh well i can basically just you know keep catering to this customer-centered model because of these really large like margins that they have uh, compared to some other food industries, which generally have slightly, you know, more lean uh, margins. And even then, this is not to get make any excuse for restaurant uh, owners, but uh, they just really lean into that, you know, customer can be an asshole kind of model. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they all they also love to bitch about how small their margins are. They're like, "Oh, it's food service. I barely make any money. I barely make any money." Yeah, dude. Then why do you roll up to work in a leased BMW? <laughs> What's the deal there? Yeah, you barely make any fucking money. <laughs> so to to continue, Lauren Gamble, a shift leader at Coffee by Design, said in a statement, "Quote." We're banding together to ensure the long-term viability of our being able to continue to serve the best customers in Maine. Fairness, consistency, and predictability should not be a whole lot to ask for when it comes to being able to have the tools necessary to provide our customers the experience they want and deserve, end quote. And surprisingly, actually surprisingly, usually when we start the sentence that way, it doesn't go the way that we're about to describe it, but the owner's reaction (laughs) to the union drive has actually been uh relatively better than others uh as is always a possibility from small businesses but still very very rare uh mary lindman uh coffee by designs owner agreed to a card check election where once the cards have been verified by a third party the company will agree to voluntarily recognize Layuna local 327 as the bargaining agent for the workers Obviously, don't don't ever count on this. Don't trust bosses. But there, this is also kind of a demonstration of the unity of the workers. Seeing in eighty nine percent of the workforce signing cards, uh, I'm guessing the owners just didn't want the to be like um, ostracized by the public, as many coffee companies have been for being shitty and starting union busting campaigns. Though I don't necessarily want to jump the gun on that one because sometimes there's voluntary recognition and then intransigence while getting a contract so we definitely want to say solidarity with these workers as they fight for that first contract because we're pretty certain that they're just gonna they're gonna get this voluntary recognition absolutely and i mean as with any case of voluntary recognition uh my main takeaway is just i'm extremely curious to see what the company's next moves are in the face of the the union's contract organizing uh, campaign. So as long as we're talking about service workers who are doing a great job of getting their shit together, let's talk about workers at Waffle House, everybody's favorite meme restaurant. So we haven't gotten to talk about the union of Southern service workers in a little bit. So we are pretty excited to talk about this recent organizing done by them and workers at Waffle House. So if you're not familiar with Waffle House, 
which again, I don't know how that's possible with Twitter in the state that it's in, but Waffle House is a 24-7 diner that has over 2,100 locations, over 25 states. Their estimated revenue is $1 billion annually, and speaking to their policy of being open 24-7, they are also known for being open in the worst storms and on holidays. This means that regardless of safety, workers are expected to come into work. The workers themselves, over the past couple of months, have participated in multiple walkouts demanding a $25 an hour minimum wage, an end to automatic meal deductions, increased security, and respect for the hard work that they do. Cooks can make upwards of $17 an hour, which is an insult just by itself, but servers are paid sub-minimum wages and are told to rely on tips at fucking Waffle House. A major problem with this is that in a place like Waffle House, tips are not really that big of a part of American culture compared to a lot of other restaurants, and the workers themselves are treated much closer to fast food employees who are often prohibited from accepting tips. So Waffle House deliberately preying on this cultural kind of gray area in American society to basically just not pay their workers whatsoever. Um, As for the increased security that the workers are concerned about, the third shift at Waffle House, unsurprisingly, the night shift, is particularly dangerous, and videos of customer violence have gone viral many, I mean, countless times since people often come in very intoxicated. I've never been to a Waffle House not completely having my shit rocked for the previous six hours by uh, various intoxicants, so big relate to that, although I've never thrown anything at an employee or even harassed them so jessica gant a waffle house worker in columbia south carolina for 24 years who went on strike over summer 2023 with her co-workers said quote i've been through two robberies and had guns in my face i definitely think they can do better than 16 dollars an hour and i'm almost 47 with a herniated disc in my back end quote to which i have to say Obviously, I hate the police. I hate everything they stand for. But if Waffle House employees aren't making at least as much as police officers for what they have to put up with, there's something wrong. Because let me tell you, being a Waffle House employee is about 35 times more fucking dangerous than handing out traffic <laughs> tickets. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I, honestly, the these workers and like there should be some security there because there is known issues of as we pointed out and as people have probably seen uh violence happening not even just you know between customers but literally directed at the workers themselves i mean i think i just remember i Mm -hmm. I usually don't click on these videos because i have a hard time watching some of these things but people like throwing chairs at cooks over the counter and shit like that it's it's really fucking awful yeah well that that famous clip of that that Waffle House employee just swatting an entire metal chair away from her with one hand and standing there like completely unperturbed by the customers harassing her and everyone was like wow she's such a fucking badass i wish i was like that and it's like okay great yeah sh- she is a badass she shouldn't have had to do any of that shit she should have had a normal shift yeah <laughs> no absolutely and I mean, uh, also speaking to the issue of the automatic meal deductions, uh, Gerald Green, who has been working at Waffle House for seven years and organizing with the USSW since 2022, said, quote, we want that taken away. We're not even guaranteed to eat food on the shift, end quote. They have like automatic deduct- deductions for food that they might not even get. Yeah. How about this? Just give them free food. I'm sorry. 
They work yeah. in your restaurant. Feed, just feed them. Just feed them, period. Full stop. End of story. Yeah. Well, and then also when it comes to uh, respect for workers, uh, they have complained about management telling them to, quote, just deal with it in regards to being sexually harassed. And I mean, upon selling a million dollars worth of food, being rewarded with just a T-shirt, like it's incredibly no, how insulting. How about you give me 10 grand right now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, and workers say, as I mean, anyone who works in food service would know that the schedules are consistently incorrect. And even sometimes former employees will end up on the schedule, just leaving shifts short staffed. And I mean, these appalling conditions merit everything that these workers are asking for and more. So solidarity with the Waffle House workers. Absolutely. Well, um, before we head into the meme review, we, of course, have to handle the big story that's just been it's just been the big story, everybody. So you know what this is. This is the UAW update portion of our show. Uh, We're going to be, quote unquote, shifting gears towards (laughs) our continued coverage of the stand up strike. That's a little bit of an automotive pun for those of you who aren't already groaning. (laughs) Uh, which is entering its second month this week, uh, the stand-up strike against the big three. So Ford's executive, Bill Ford, uh, I wonder how he got the job, great-grandson of the Nazi collaborator Henry Ford, decided that it was time to once again cry about quote-unquote competitiveness, demanding that the UAW end the strike because non-union companies don't pay their workers well, so why should we? He went on to threaten workers at the Rouge Truck Complex in Dearborn, Michigan. In response, Sean Fain said, quote, Bill Ford knows exactly how to settle this strike. Instead of threatening to close the Rouge, he should call up Kim Farley, tell him to stop playing games and get a deal done, or we'll close the Rouge for him. It's not the UAW and Ford against foreign automakers. It's auto workers everywhere against corporate greed. If Ford wants to be the all-American auto company, they can pay all-American wages and benefits. Workers at Tesla, Toyota, Honda, and others are not the enemy. They're the UAW members of the future. End quote. <laughs> That's like, I, I just can't express how consistently impressed I am with what Sean Fain has to say. And then with the way that he subsequently follows up exactly what he said with exactly what he does. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that we, and again, I think that we've talked about this a couple of times and how this is what the bare minimum of labor should be. This is like, we, we yes. talk about this and we're like, we're, we're, uh, you know, fawning over Sean Fain. Uh, honestly, it kind of sucks too in a certain way. Like we mm-hmm. do love Sean Fain, but uh, really this should be the position of every single union leader. There should be no excuse to, you know, side with the company ever because like really if you are you're not competing against non-union workers, you are those workers are going to be part of your union when you, you know, stand up and actually get what you deserve and show that unions are what make the working class strong. Yeah. Ford also announced that a bonus of $600 million in dividends to shareholders this week, all while crying poverty. So obviously they have the fucking money. This amount would be equal to $1 an hour for all Ford workers over the life of the contract. And while the big three have said that they have reached their limit on contract negotiations over and over and over again, that seems to be a lie because every couple days they manage to come back to the table another small step closer to the workers' demands. So for some updates on where the negotiations are, here's a real quick rundown. We're just going to breeze through this. 
All three negotiations are up to 23% from 20% over the life of the contract. They have eliminated tiers for Mopar workers at Stellantis, GMCH and CCA at GM, and Rawsonville and Sterling at Ford. For wage progression, originally, the companies were at eight years to get to the top wage for full-time workers. They have been fighting to get that down to 90 days. At Stellantis, they are down to four years. For Ford, three years. And GM is trying to introduce a new tier to have it be three years for current employees and four years for future employees. Sean has said that simply will not happen. COLA, cost of living adjustment, at Ford is back to 2009 levels. At GM, it is almost a completed issue, but not quite there yet. And and Stellantis wants it to not kick in for the first year, which is just really harebrained company shit. For profit sharing at Ford, they have made it better by applying it to total company profits and including all temp workers. GM has only budged on... um, profit sharing with temps with a thousand hours to benefit from it and Stellantis has not budged on this issue at all for temp workers Ford will convert all current temps to full-time workers in 90 days and raise the wage to $21 an hour but they are still working on this for future temps GM has agreed to convert all temps at the one-year mark and raise temp wages to $21 an hour Stellantis is converting thousands of temps but still needs to move on future temps and they are still at $20 an hour Meanwhile, GM is the only of the big three that has rejected the right to strike over plant closures, which GM, you're not going to be able to stick on that one, I'm pretty damn sure. All three have given two weeks of parental leave, but Sean says there is still room to grow there. They have also given Juneteenth, as we have previously reported. Finally, retirement is a complicated issue that is a real battle to fully understand. It's it's quite Byzantine and arcane in some cases, but as per Sean's report that all three have increased the pension multiplier by $3. Ford and Stellantis have increased 401k contributions to 9.5% plus $1 an hour, while GM is at 8% and $1.25 an hour. Ford has offered a $250 a year lump sum, GM has offered a one-time $1,000 lump sum, and Stellantis has rejected all increases to increase retiree pay. So Stellantis showing a remarkable amount of intransigence on a lot of these issues in particular. Yeah. And I mean, this is actually, I mean, surprisingly, this is actually really uh, like a lot of progress on the Stellantis front, which I think is an indictment of their negotiations because uh, like there were not new, uh, as I mean, Sean said before, they're not doing the Friday um, escalations, but he also was saying that like, basically every two days like as john said they were making the deal just a little bit better but i think that the first moment that that doesn't happen we're gonna see more of these more of the stand-up strike come into effect yeah absolutely yeah and i mean despite the the movement from the companies the the uaw they know that they can win more and i mean but i mean we also have to talk about how stellantis and uh they are trying to intimidate picketers by bringing in a strike breaking company uh known as huffmaster at parts distribution centers the company is the huffmaster company is known for assaulting striking workers and has at least three pending cases right now and that's not to say that or that's not even uh, counting all of the times in the past where they have uh, done like awful violence against uh, strikers. They also are often hired for like fucking like breaking school strikes and shit like that. One time they actually uh, 
tried to charge a school district a million dollars for a two-month strike-breaking campaign. And that's the kind of money that's go- that goes into strike-breaking that could literally just go directly to the workers. Um, I mean, they uh, also are known for videotaping picket lines to try to catch striking workers breaking any like little limits on picket lines in order to rece- receive greater injunctions from judges. Uh, They have received uh, cease and desist letters from state governments for, quote, illegally interfering with the demonstration uh, with the demonstrating picketers right to protest, end quote. And I mean, also for operating in a state without a proper license. These are literal criminals. These are these are squads of goons who are there to basically bring in scabs and to break strikes. Yeah. And, you know, we heard from Sean Fain about this, who said, quote, more dirty tricks from the big three who aren't afraid to put their own workers in danger, spy on our picket lines and do whatever they can to make an extra buck. Shame on Stellantis for trying to break our strike instead of sitting down and bargaining a fair deal, end quote. And despite this tactic, you know, they have hardly made even a fucking dent in the productivity levels of these parts centers without the UAW members. So the company can flail around, hire goons, do whatever kind of shit they want. The UAW has proven over and over and over again that it's not just Sean Fain, it's not just the new leadership. The entire union is operating in a new register of coordination, solidarity, and efficiency, and maybe most importantly, democracy. And it's, it's... Absolutely unsurprising, but still somehow shocking to see the effectiveness of the results of that strategy. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. And again, just speaks more and more to the the power of a rank and file leader in these, you know, core administrative positions, which is why I want to, you know, hats off to not only the UAWD who managed to win this fight, but everyone out there fighting to make their union more democratic in every way possible. Can you imagine if the UAW was still under the admin caucus right now? We literally would not even be doing the story. No, no, they would have already like taken some shit deal. It would it would have already happened. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of taking shit deals, uh, we're moving into the meme review, everybody. <laughs> Your favorite part of the show? Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you really like the news, but I like to blow off steam after I've done something important. And our, our first meme has to do with figuring out how to not take a shit deal. And it has two cowboys standing in the in an old west town, fa- staring each other down, facing off, hands near their guns in their holsters. And the first cowboy says, what's your desired salary? And the other cowboy, also hand near the gun, says, what's the job pay? <laughs> Which I love so much. Because like, when you get interviewed and they're like, what's your desired salary? It's like, I don't know, motherfucker. Don't you write the checks? Tell me yeah, what I'm no, making. <laughs> exactly. I, I think of that every single time. Like You're filling out a job application. It's like, desired salary. It's like, you didn't put it in the fucking... Like, in, in the uh, the ad listing, so I don't even know what I'm supposed to be shooting for. As soon as I put in there what I think I deserve, I'm pretty sure you are just going to think, wow, this I'm not hiring this person because they are asking too much. But I mean, also, to, I mean, to move to our next one, I mean, kind of in a similar vein, we have a, a meme here from, it's a four panel from The Good Place, where uh, it's Jason, and then the, the blonde girl main character, I can't ever remember her name, but... Uh, Jason uh, here I don't is know saying her character's name Kristen Stewart <laughs> yeah uh 
Well, uh, Jason here says, uh, wait, we can get mythical animals? Maybe I'll get a job that doesn't exploit me. And then she goes, uh, those are real. And then Jason's like, that's the spirit, American workforce. They're real to me, too, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it's like... Being, being kind of like, yeah, uh, sorry, that that's fake. <laughs> yeah. I had it wrong. That's Kristen Bell. I get my Kristens mixed up. Uh, there's too uh, many of them. Name your kids something else. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, our next meme is directly relevant to uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict and pretty much any other conflict where the United States is involved in any capacity. And it just has a very old-timey illustration, maybe a, a wood carving or something like that, of a slave master angrily confronting a slave with a whip in his hand. And then it has the modern uh, brain genius Wojak, whose brain is so large that he's literally sitting on it like a chair, who is simply saying, both sides are bad. Hmm. yeah very insightful brain genius wojack thank you so much for your helpful contribution to this issue yeah Yeah, and this is like literally i mean we see this uh, you know all over the internet at least of people being like oh no i condemn both sides it's like motherfucker one side is doing genocide Mm -hmm. yeah you don't have to like hamas but uh they're they're not doing a genocide so pretty cut and dry Yeah, and, and, and I guess and another one, just kind of doing a shout out to The Onion, which has been doing some just absolute banger headlines lately. Uh, this one is, military reports that it was you, the reader, who blew up hospital. And... Oh, god damn it. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, this is just... I mean, it's very clear that Israel is the one who is bombing the hospitals. They're, they're just trying to obfuscate... To put, there's actually a really good article by Liberation News about how the you know debunking the idea that anyone other than Israel bombed that hospital. Uh, it's in the Discord, so jump in the Discord if you want to mm-hmm. check that out. And then uh, our last one is pretty good too. Uh, Caitlin Johnstone on Twitter has also been sharing a bunch of really good resources debunking any Israeli military claims that it could have been anyone but them who bombed the hospital based on the capacity of the payload of the rocket or the explosion based on, uh, I saw a really good audio analysis that triangulated the possible origins of the rocket based on that. I also saw an audio analysis of the supposed tape that the Israeli government released of Hamas fighters, quote unquote, planning and coordinating the attack on the hospital that it you don't even have to be an audio analyst you could just tell it sounds fake it was clearly recorded on multiple different microphones in multiple locations and stitched together in post it's just there's a lot of fucking misinformation out there so like do your best and 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 really try to try to get shit that uh has been reviewed properly and makes sense because it will lead you to the correct opinion yeah yeah absolutely it's really important to to not honestly the fucking like liberals and and genocide apologists are like oh there's so much misinformation going on out there and then they're like then they'll like defend israel's position on this and i'm just like yo motherfucker you are the one eating the misinformation Mm -hmm. that's precisely right well and our, our last meme as lena said is another real fucking banger uh this is just a cover of a Clifford the big red dog but it has been edited a little bit so you have the little ham sick star off to the side and the monopoly man is on a branch that Clifford has bent down uh, in the original illustration I believe to get a cat out of a tree or something and you also have 
Emily, I think is the character's name, uh-huh. with a ham stick on her shirt and a big emoji middle finger to the Monopoly man. And it just says, Clifford fucking launches a capitalist into the sun. <laughs> and then at the bottom it says, instead of scholastic, good praxis. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I just really like this one. Launching the fucking capitalist into the sun. All right. Well, yeah. this that's where we're going to end it this week. And we really want to thank anyone who supports us because it's the only way that we get any funding for doing this program. And if you would like to support us to help make sure that we can continue doing the reporting that we do, go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and support us with $5 a month or more if you'd like. I mean, we always appreciate the, the people who uh, who donate a little bit more to us every month. But, uh, you know, there's also that's also how you get stickers. So message us on the Patreon to get those stickers. Jump in the Discord to see all of the news. We actually do keep up pretty well on the goings-on in Palestine. And so, you know, that's, that's going to be really important to keep up on. Write us a review somewhere. Follow us in all the places. The links are at workstoppagepod.com. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always... Labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity. Dreams
Tomorrow will be free. 